Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Scams. I'm telling you. I am tired of getting scams. I'm tired of the text messages, I'm tired of the emails, and I'm tired of the phone calls. Are you with me today? Can I just rant for a few seconds here about scams? Listen, I, I, if I get one more phone call about my extended car warranty, if I get one more phone call about my social security number being hijacked, if I get one more phone call about the IRS wanting to talk to me, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm telling you. If I get another private Facebook message or social media message saying, hello, how are you? I'm going to go crazy. If I get another email from some guy in Europe talking to me about my long lost loved one who's died and left me a fortune and all they need is my routing number and account number, I'm going to lose my mind. We have seen so many scams throughout our lifetime. And one that has arisen in the last decade or so is title deed theft. Do you know what a title deed is? A title deed is a documentation that verifies your ownership over a house or a piece of property. And title deed theft says this, that people come and hijack your identity, and then they hijack your title deed to your property that you own, and they use that identity to take out a loan against your property that you're liable to pay back. Can you imagine going through the crazy process of finding a house to buy, buying the house, going to the bank or the mortgage company and getting the loan, and then after 30 years, you paid off your debt finally, and then come to find out that you lacked title insurance and come to find out you actually don't even own your house. Somebody else owns it. That would be a bad day. You know, as we come to the thought of scripture today about all these scams, I want you to understand this, that the greatest scammer is not the guy on the backside of the telephone talking to you about your title deed or your car insurance or anything else, but the greatest scammer throughout all history is Satan. And in Genesis chapter 1, we read how the Bible tells us that God spoke this universe into existence. And in fact, the theme of Revelation chapter 4 is God is worthy of our adoration because he is the maker of all creation. The creation itself is full enough evidence to reveal that there is a creator of the world. And we see in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God spoke the world into existence in six literal days, 24-hour days he did it, and he rested on the seventh. And on day six, the Bible says that God made man in his own image. And the Bible tells us in, in chapter 2 that God created a garden and placed man in the garden, and God took the lower rib of Adam, which, by the way, just food for thought, is the only bone in the human body that is able to grow back if it is, disappears. And so God takes the lower rib out of Adam and forms Eve, and we see that in chapter 3, all seemed like it was well until the scammer came on the scene. 
And see, when God created man, God created man to have dominion over the fish of the air, over the fish of the sea, over dominion over the fowls of the air, and over dominion over the beasts of the earth, and over all the insects that crawl on the ground. But when Satan comes in the scene, the great scammer in Genesis chapter three, the Bible tells us that he was speaking with man in the garden, and he said, "Did God really say?" You see, Satan hasn't changed his tactics. He's still casting and showering doubt upon the word of God. And we see he did just that in the garden. And he scammed man to doubting the word and authenticity and credibility and reliability of the word of God. And then we see he scammed them into partaking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to eat. And he said, you'll be like God. If you eat from this tree, knowing good from evil. And in that moment, when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the fall of man. And so as a result of that fall, we have death. As a result of that fall, we have disease. As a result of that, the, the fall, we have all the horrible things that this life has, the trials and tribulations. But also, a result of the fall is man, in a sense, lost the right to be the ultimate dominion over this earth. And now the Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible, in fact, Paul says in Corinthians that he is the God lowercase g of this world. In other words, Satan is the landlord overseeing the affairs and dominion of this age. So for 6,000 years, give or take, Satan has been deceiving. Satan has been scamming. Satan has been conning us to believe things that are not contrary, are not lined up with the word of God. And today we see that as John, in Revelation chapter 4, he is caught up and taken through the portal of the doorway into heaven. And there he is seeing the throne of God, God himself seated on that throne. And around this throne, we see these beasts or these angelic creatures, most likely seraphims and cherubims there. And then we see the seven torches of fire representing the Holy Spirit of God. And then we see the 24 little seats or the 24 other thrones of these elders seated there. And in the midst of all that he's seeing, he sees this jasper, which is a diamond like crystal clear beaming out of the throne of God. He sees this British Sardis collar, which is just beaming out of God's throne. And then he sees a rainbow that is full circle of emerald, greenish rainbow. And in the middle of all that's going on in Revelation chapter four, we see a transition now. John is looking at this throne and he's looking at the one that's seated on the throne and he sees a book in his right hand. And I believe the best way to come to the understanding of what this book is, is, to, is I believe that yes, it's going to unpack the judgments to come, but it is the title deed to the earth. And so Satan, for all these thousands of years, he thought that he had ownership of this world. He thought that he had ownership of the people of this world. But in this day, in this moment of the book of Revelation, God is going to reveal once and for all that he is not just creator, but he's going to redeem this world back and take rightful ownership of the world he created. The message for this chapter in Revelation chapter 5 is found in verse number 12. If you walk away with any thought today, I want you to walk away with these four words from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb. Would you say that with me? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. 
today, if I could elaborate on that statement and summarize the content of these 14 verses and summarize the content that I'm about to deliver to you today through this sermon, I want to share this with you. The Lamb is worthy of our adoration because He is the God of redemption. The Lamb is worthy of our adoration because He is the God of redemption. You see, in chapter 4, we see that God is worthy of our adoration because he is the maker of all creation. But we see now in chapter five, the lamb is worthy of our adoration because he is the God of redemption. And today I'm sure you might be asking yourself as we read these 14 verses, why is the lamb worthy? And I'm glad you asked that because I wanna share with you five specific reasons from our text today about why the lamb of God is not just worthy of our praise, and is not just worthy to open up this scroll or this book and to read it and to, to usher out the judgments. And not only worthy to take ownership of this world, but he is the worthy one that will be worshipped throughout all eternity from this passage. And by the way, chapters 4 and 5 are to be studied as a unit because John, it, it is an introductory there to chapter 6 all the way through 22 about the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls being ushered out of God to send judgment to this world. And we see we get a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like in these chapters like chapter 5. You see, our declaration throughout all eternity, the song that we will sing in endless praise and thanksgiving and worship to God is four words. Worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. But I wonder, do you know him? as your Lord today. Will you come with me as we walk through this chapter together as I share with you five reasons why I believe the Lamb is worthy? Let's look at verses one through the first part of verse five. As I read these first five verses of Revelation chapter five, here's the first reason why he's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb because his lineage is royal. Worthy is the Lamb because his lineage is royal. Look at verse number one. The Bible says that, that now John, in the midst of all that he's seeing in this great throne room of glory, he sees, in fact, the Bible says here in the first part of this verse, that God, in a sense, is seen by John in a way that we see each other. From the standpoint that God respectfully sees the right hand of God holding a book. And like I said, this book most likely represents the title deed to this earth. And in this title deed, we see that that throughout in the ancient culture that they would have documents like this that would be written all on the front within and all on the back from without. Now, this could be a lease. That is, if you were a tenant trying to rent from somebody who owned a piece of property, it would be like a, a loan from somebody. It would be a major, incredible document would be fashioned within and without, as the Bible says here. Now, the question is, is this a scroll that we think of, or is it a codex book like we have today, like this book of the Bible I'm holding? Is it a codex book like this, or is it a scroll? I would argue that it is most likely a scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And we see in chapter 6 and following, Jesus is going to break each of those seven seals and unleash judgment to this world. And the Bible says in verse number 2 that John saw a strong angel. Now our minds can only speculate about who exactly this angel is. We know that throughout the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that Gabriel is a strong 
and mighty angel. So it could very well be possible that Gabriel the angel, the angel is now in view that John is seeing. Maybe it is Gabriel, maybe it's not, but I'll tell you what, one of these days when we get up there, we'll figure out who it was. And he sees this angel, a strong angel, proclaiming with a loud voice. Now, let me pause right here. This word proclaim is the exact same word that is used in, math, in, excuse me, in Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter, where the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's the same exact word that is being used in, in Timothy when Paul is writing and he says, preach the word to be instant in season, out of season. And so understand this, that in this ancient Roman culture, they would have a crier or a heralder and this crier would come into the marketplace and into the streets and he would herald forth a message and announcement on behalf of the king and emperor and ruler. And so we see that the same word that God commanded us to go into the highways and to the hedges and tell the world that Jesus has come and died and rose again and offers life to all those who will believe in him is the same word used here. This heavenly strong angel is proclaiming this question. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? I find verse three, probably one of the most depressing book, verses of the chapter. And it says, no man in heaven, no man in earth, and no man under the earth was able to open the book, not even to look upon it. He says, no being in heaven, no being on this earth, and no being in the darkest, deepest dungeons and abyss of hell is able to open and look at this book. And John, in verse 4, begins to weep. Several years ago, a secular artist by the name of Eric Clapton wrote a song in grief of his son or daughter, I can't remember which, but his child that died. And he wrote a song entitled Tears in Heaven. And this verse, verse four of Revelation five, has made so many people to question the fact that will there be crying in heaven? We see that John is on the island of Patmos, being persecuted for his faith. And he's transported in the spirit through the doorway of heaven. And here in a moment, he looks out and nobody is able to open it. Nobody's worthy anywhere in all the world and the universe and, and in the heavenly realms to open this book that is being held by God on his throne in his right hand. And he begins to cry. So is there gonna be crying in heaven? Well, perhaps so, perhaps not. But what we do know in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible says once and for all, God will wipe away every sorrow. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll wipe away every ounce of death. And all those things will one day in Revelation 21 be right wiped away. But we see that John is weeping and crying because nobody is worthy. And just imagine, this book was to be delivered to the seven churches in the Asia Minor area of, of modern-day Turkey. And so they get to Ephesus, they get to Sardis, they get to Philadelphia, they get to all the others in Laodicea and, and some of the others. And, and just imagine their tears that begin to cry because they're reading this for the first time and they're thinking, wow, nobody in all of the universe is able to open this book. And then, verse 5, here's the encouragement. The Bible says, one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. 
He says, stop crying. Don't cry any longer. Let's pause right here. Last week, I, I talked about the elders, but I didn't go into too much detail just because it was Easter Sunday and didn't want to bore some of our wonderful visitors and some of, uh, uh, and because it's Easter Sunday. But nonetheless, the word elders here is a term that is used throughout the New Testament to signify the leadership of the church. And then you go back into the Old Testament and the word elder is a term that is used to signify the leadership of the Jewish people. That is in the old covenant, elders were raised up to be leaders. In the new covenant, elders like myself are raised up to be leaders in the local church. And so who exactly are these elders? As I briefly mentioned last week, there's 24 of them mentioned in chapter four and chapter five. And most likely, I believe the best understanding of these 24 elders is 12 of them are on these seats around the throne and they are representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then 12 other seats there are, are representing the 12 apostles. So we see that, that these elders are representing the redeemed saints of all ages. And so the question is simply this, if, if, if 12 of the tribes of Israel are mentioned here, which 12 are being mentioned? Because there's times where more than 12 tribes are described. And then the question is this, if, if it's 12 apostles that are seated here, which 12? Is it Judas or is it Matthias? Well, Judas, I mean, we know he was crooked and he was scammed. And Matthias, Matthias is only mentioned in the book of Acts. And then right there, the one time when they gathered together, who's going to take Judas's place? And they cast the lots and a lot fell on Matthias. And then Matthias is no longer mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. So, so who's the 12th apostle? Well, I think the best understanding, if that is who these elders are, is that the 12th apostle is the apostle Paul. Throughout all of Paul's letters, he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the way I understand the 12 tribes of Israel that are there are the list in Revelation chapter seven. Those 12 tribes that are mentioned here are the ones that are gonna be seated most likely around this throne. So you have these, these elders representing the redeemed saints of all time. They're representing the people of God before the presence of God. And then it's interesting. We see an elder now is talking to an elder because John was a pastor. He's an elder. He's a leader in the local church in Ephesus. And there he's crying. And yes, we understand that a role of a pastor is to pray and to study God's word and to proclaim and teach and preach God's word. But also a role of the elder is to shepherd and comfort and pray with the flock of God. And we see the elder, the heavenly elder is comforting the earthly elder, John. He says, don't weep. But he doesn't stop there. He says, behold. He says, why won't you look over there? The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. And that brings us to our first thought today. Worthy is the lamb because his lineage is royal. We began a new study in, in the book of Ruth on Wednesday evenings. And the book of Ruth is a wonderful love story. But I believe the whole purpose of the book of Ruth, it is lodged in the book of Judges, the darkest time in, in Israel's history, perhaps. And, and it's lodged in there to give us hope that even in the midst of darkest of times, God can still make a way when there seems to be no way. And we see the whole purpose of the book of Ruth is that there were people in David's times, most likely, who were, who were, who were questioning the authenticity of the royal line of David. And so the whole book of Ruth is leading up to us to tell us about this Moabite woman and this Jewish man, Boaz, coming together and eventually to lead us into the lineage of David. 
how David had the royal right to take the throne in Israel. And today, as we come to this passage here, the lion of the tribe of Judah goes back to Genesis chapter 49, and it reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The phrase here, it says the root, or, or as some people have called it, the offspring of David. Jesus Christ is the branch and the root and the offspring of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 10 speak of this. So in other words, here, here's what is being said. That, that, that we go back to Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, and we study the lineage of Jesus his heritage and his genealogy, and it's all revealing to us this thought that Jesus Christ has the rightful, royal ability to take the throne and to open this scroll once and for all and to usher the judgments on this world because he is the creator and the redeemer of this world. My friends, worthy is the lamb because his lineage is royal, flawless, was his lineage. That is, he comes from the stock of Judah, and he is the perfect, sinless lamb of God. The lamb is worthy of our adoration because he is the God of redemption. Worthy is the lamb, but I wonder today, do you know this lamb as your Lord? Look at verse 5. The Bible goes on to say, it says that this Lamb, who's the lion of the tribe of Judah, who's the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. Would you say prevail with me? Prevail. Say it again. Prevail. And one more time, please. Prevail. Why is the lamb worthy? Second reason is this. Worthy is the lamb because his life was successful. Worthy is the lamb because his life was successful. May I ask you a question? What is a successful life? Is a successful life growing up and going off to college and getting a bachelor's degree? Is a successful life going and getting a master's degree and then going and getting a doctorate? Is that successful life? Is a, is a successful life going out into the workforce and getting a job that pays you a certain tax bracket, quality of a salary? Is that success? Is success one day owning a nice five to 10,000 square foot home? Is success one day driving that nice luxurious automobile or truck or whatever? Is success one day getting married and having children? Is that success? My friends, that's not success. And in fact, I would argue that no human being outside of Jesus Christ has ever been able to live a successful life. Let me clarify that statement to you. You see, a successful life, what I believe, is a life that is totally, fully, wholly committed to living out God's will. And the only being that's ever walked this world who's able to issue that is the second person of the triune God that is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. And in the midst of his, 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 his whole life, we see that he was totally committed to Jesus, I mean, excuse me, to the Father's will. He lived it out to every degree. Whereas maybe on Monday, I might be able to do it. But Tuesday through Sunday, my man, I mess up. And so do you. And here the Bible says the word prevail. This is the same word that is translated overcomer in chapter two and chapter three is the same word used throughout the New Testament to also be translated as triumphant. 
and victorious and conquer. So we see here that this line of the tribe of Judah, this root of David, he is the prevailing, triumphing, he is the conquering, overcoming Lamb of God because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. I can't do that. Neither can you. And that's why the only way for a human being to ever have success is for our lives to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way for you or me to ever have a successful life is for our lives to be totally, wholeheartedly consumed by Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. He prevailed. His life was successful. His lineage is royal. He is worthy of our adoration because he is the God of redemption. My friends, the lamb is worthy of our praise today. But my question for you, is this lamb that I'm speaking about your Lord? Would you look at verses six through nine today? As we move forward in our text today, I want you to understand the third thought and the third reason why the lamb is worthy. Worthy is the lamb because his sacrifice was total. Worthy is the lamb because his sacrifice was total. In verse 6 and in verse 9, I want to draw your attention to one word that's mentioned. That's the word slain. Would you say slain with me? Slain. Say it again, please. Slain. And one more time, slain. Verse number 6, there's somewhat of a transition here. After the elder speaks to John, John beholds and he looks in the middle of the throne and of the four beasts and in the middle of the elders, the 24 elders, he sees a lamb standing as it had been slain. I find it interesting here. The terminology here, it says, stood as a lamb, stood a lamb as it had been slain. So for all eternity, when we look at God, when we look at Jesus Christ, for all eternity, my friends, we're going to see the prince in his right hand. We're going to see the prince in his left hand. We're going to see the prince in his skull. We're going to see the, 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 the stab that they stabbed him right here, the print here. And we're going to see the prince in his feet for all eternity. Because here we see the gruesome, vile death of the Lamb of God. Have you ever heard of a butcher? Have you ever been to Kroger or Walmart or Food Line or some other grocery store? And you go to the deli section. And I'm sure living here in Southwest Virginia, your probably go-to meat in the deli is bologna. And so there you might go over to Kroger or Food Lion or Walmart and you might get five pounds of bologna. That's a lot of bologna, right? But then, you, then you're like, well, you know, maybe I'm going to get another five pounds of ham. Then I'm going to get another five pounds of roast beef and another five pounds of turkey because my man, we're going to eat good tonight. <laughs> you go there and you see all the devices that are used today in our modern world, slicing and dicing all those meats so we can take them and place them carefully in our sandwich to eat later. 2,000 years ago, I want you to understand this. That the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus Christ was a lamb going to the slaughter. And just as a butcher takes his knife and his utensils and he, he, he violently kills the animal so that one day it could be skinned and one day the meat 
could be taken and used for a sandwich or whatever. The Bible tells us here that the Lamb of God was butchered. The Lamb of God was beaten. The Lamb of God was bruised. The Lamb of God was slain. The Lamb of God was sacrificed. And the Lamb of God was gruesomely slaughtered so that we could have our sins totally covered and forgiven. My friends, that's why he's worthy. Because he's not just the one who spoke the word into existence, but he's the one who loved the world so much that he came and died on the cross for our sins. The Bible goes on to say here that in the middle of all this, he sees these seven horns and these seven eyes. These seven horns represent the omnipotence of God, that God is all powerful. We see the, the seven eyes represents the omnipresence of God, that God sees everything at all times and he's never, and everything that goes on in this world, God sees and knows about. And we see all these attributes are, are geared to the Holy Spirit of God. And we see that, that just as Satan has an agent called demonic spirits going out to do his bidding, we see that God, in the, in the Gospel of John, God sent the Holy Spirit here in this world so that we as a church could have the power of God in us. And so that God could see all that's going on in this world. I find it interesting that some Christians are so afraid of the power of the Spirit of God. But we don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't, the, actually, the Bible says do not quench the Holy Spirit. We want the power of God through his spirit here with us. We see that the same power of the spirit breathe life into our beings. The same power of the spirit breathe life into the book you're holding right here. And that's why this book, the Old and New Testament, the Bible is set apart than every other book that has ever been written in the Library of Congress or any other library. Because this book right here is the book that God sovereignly chose to breathe life into existence right here. And this is the only book that you can open up that will promise you Heaven is your helm, and that your sins can be forgiven for all eternity. And then verse number seven, the Bible says that he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Don't let all this, the, the scene here, distract you about the Trinity here. I'll explain a few moments here later on about the concept of the Trinity. But in verse number eight, the Bible says that when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. So an instrument they were using. And then these golden vials. What kind of breakfast do you like to eat? Are you a sausage and biscuit kind of guy? Or are you a biscuits and gravy kind of gal? What do you enjoy eating? Is it that waffle from Waffle House? Is that crisp, burnt piece of bacon? <laughs> what, what is it that you like? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you're the, the, the kind of person like me back in my, in my, in my teenage years when, when if, if I didn't like what was cooked and put on the table, I just went to the cupboard there and I got me a, a nice big old box of cereal. And I got me that nice little bowl and I poured the cereal in the bowl, went to the refrigerator, got the milk and poured the milk in the bowl and got my spoon and I had myself a feast. Well, I say that to say this, that just as we use a bowl to put food in, this bowl in heaven that is golden, that has odors coming out. We have no idea what the odor is, but we know the odor signifies the prayers of saints of all ages. So here's a thought that I believe God is telling to us, and not just the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He's saying this, that God is a God who hears and answers prayer. There's no matter what kind of prayer you pray, God is going to hear it. God is going to listen, and God is going to respond. 
Now, he may not always respond the way I want him to or the way you want him to, but God will respond to our prayers. And so let us keep praying to God. It is, in a sense, a way to worship him. And we see right here in eternity, John is seeing these prayers and perhaps he's being reminded of the prayers that were prayed in some of the churches that were being persecuted in the Asia Minor. And we see here that this would have been encouraging to these saints in the ancient world. And then verse number nine says that, that these, these individuals sang a new song. These heavenly beings lifted up their voices and they said, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. There's our word again. Worthy is the lamb because not just his, sacri- his, his life was successful and his lineage was royal, but today I want to draw your attention now to the word redeemed. And I want to share with you a third thought about redemption. Why is the lamb worthy? Worthy is the lamb. Because his sacrifice was not just total. We see that found in the word slain. And by the way, before I get ahead of myself, there's so much debate these days about the extent of the atonement. Is the atonement universal? Is the atonement limited? Is the atonement definite? What is the extent of the atonement? Well, let me just wrap it all up into what I think best describes the whole content of Scripture. I believe the atonement of Christ was total. That is, when Jesus went to the cross, we see this here in the word slain. We see this here multiple times in the passage and throughout the scriptures. We see that when he died on the cross, he died totally for all sin. That is the sin of adultery. That is the sin of murder, the sin of hatred, the sin of lying, etc., etc., etc. God died on the cross. The Son of God died. The Son of God died there so that all sin could be paid. I like how one theologian described it. He said, when Christ died on the cross, his sacrifice of the atonement was sufficient for all, but only efficient for those who believe. Worthy is the lamb because his sacrifice was total. It was total. But now let me draw your attention to the word redeem. Would you say redeem with me? Redeem. And one more time, please. Redeem. Why is he worthy? My friends, Worthy is the lamb, fourth of all, because his purchase is redeemable. Worthy is the lamb because his purchase is redeemable. Not just his lineage is royal, not just his life was successful, and not just his sacrifice was total, but here today, I want you to understand this. Worthy is the lamb because his purchase is redeemable. This word redeem takes us back into the ancient world about a slave being purchased on the marketplace. And understand this, that the moment when man fell in the garden, we in a sense... Whether you understand this or not, or whether you accept this or not, you're either a slave to sin and Satan, or you're a servant of God. And so the reason why Jesus came and died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin once and for all, so that no more sacrifices need to be played, so that no more times a lamb needs to be killed and butchered. The reason why he did that is so that his blood could be the agent that he used the currency, if you will, to make the transaction so that we could have our sins totally forgiven, redeemed. There was a day in my life when I was a servant and slave to sin and Satan. But Jesus stepped in and saved my soul. And now I am a servant and slave to Jesus Christ. My dear friends, God loves us in such a way that he's able to come back to this world and he's to redeem us. And not only is he able to redeem you and me, but in this chapter, we see that he's going to redeem back all of his creation from the hands of of the wicked enemy of God. The Bible says his blood 
It was the blood of Christ that poured out of his skull and his body. And it is the blood of Christ that is able to wash our sins away. Verse 10 speaks about how he's not only going to redeem us and cover us with his blood. And by the way, I love the usage of the word tongue and I love the worship of the word people and the word nation. This gives us the idea that God loves all people no matter what their nationality is. No matter where they live in a continent, no matter what country they're in, Jesus died for all so that all could come to know him. And he wants us to be made kings and priests with him. And all those who are redeemed, we get to become kings. We get to have a seat in his kingdom and we get to become priests and we get to sit for 1,000 years on this earth with him and rule and reign in the millennium in the soon coming years. In verse 11, we see another transition where John beholds and he hears voices of many angels so much that he could not even number them. The Bible tells us here, it says, out of the number of these angels and these beasts and these elders that were surrounding this throne, it says he couldn't count them. It says the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I thought, I've always thought to myself, why would you say that? Why wouldn't you say just millions and millions and millions or billions and billions? Well, the reason why is Sometimes there's limitations in the English language and there's times when there's limitations in the Greek language. And the highest number, the highest word that they had for a number in the Greek language, so I'm told, is myriad or 10,000. Now let me, let me picture it this way. The other day I thought to myself, I wonder what the largest football stadium is in America. I thought to myself, I wonder where it is. It takes us to Michigan. In fact, Michigan host the largest football stadium in the United States. And it's, it can seat 107,000 people. That's a lot of people to gather together to watch a football game. Now let's take that one stadium and now let's multiply it by a thousand. And that's the number that John says he sees. 100 million angelic in other words, he says, as far as I look to my front, as far as I look to my sides, and as far as I look behind me, I, I can't number all these creatures. I can't number all these angels, all these beings. And they're saying these words in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb. So what is going to be our praise throughout all eternity? It's going to be worthy is the Lamb. He is worthy. And the Bible says he was worthy that was slain to receive power. He was slain to receive riches. He was slain to receive wisdom. He was slain to receive strength. He was slain to receive honor, slain to receive glory. And I like this word, slain to receive blessing. This word blessing right here, it, 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 this is the word that we get the word eulogy from. So understand this, the word eulogy means to speak well of. And so the Bible says, as long as there's breath in our lungs, the only thing we can speak about God is his goodness. Worthy is the lamb because his purchase is redeemable. His sacrifice was total. His life was successful and his lineage is royal. But my friends, let me share with you the final thought today from verses 13 and 14. The fifth and final reason why I believe the lamb is worthy. Worthy is the lamb because his being is eternal. 
Worthy is the lamb because his being is eternal. Here in verse number 13, let's walk through this. The Bible says that these creatures, every creature that is in heaven, every creature that is on earth, every creature that is under the earth, in other words, every being in all the universe and the cosmos that God created that are in the sea, that are out of them, he heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits on the throne and unto the lamb, check out the words, forever and ever. Then the four beasts, they say, amen. In other words, so let it be. We are affirming what is being said. And then the 24 elders fall down and worship him that the Bible says lives forever and ever. So in chapter four, we see the emphasis is placed on God the Father being worshiped. And here in chapter five, we see the emphasis is placed on God the Son being worshiped. And understand this, that in chapter four, the same terminology, the same word like glory, the same word like honor, the same word like power is being used in a means to worship God the Father. Is the same words and terminology used in chapter five to worship God the Son. So it leads me along with a host of other scholars dating back all the way to the first century of the early church and the apostles to say that God is a triune being made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but manifested in three personages. And we see here, the Son of God is the Lamb of God being worshiped. I have become a preaching junkie. I love listening to preaching. I love listening to good preaching, bad preaching, and ugly preaching. Why do I listen to good preaching and bad preaching and ugly preaching? Well, so that I can become better. So I can listen to somebody preach a bad sermon so I can say, well, that's not the way I'm going to do it for sure. <laughs> but several years ago, earlier in the 1900s, God blessed America with a special voice. In fact, he was born in the state of Texas to a father who was a pastor. And his pastor named him Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, commonly known as S.M. Lockridge. And in his late 20s, he was about 28, he was teaching in a school, and God rattled his cage and summoned him to become a pastor and preacher and teacher of the word. And shortly after that, he was called by a church to become the pastor. And for about 10 years, we, we see that he was the pastor in Texas. And then he transitions and moves to San Diego, California to pastor Calvary Baptist Church in Southern California. S.M. Lockridge is an African-American pastor, or was. He's with the Lord now. But he traveled all over the United States and perhaps even abroad, even went to the White House, was used by God to share the word. But there's really only one sermon, or I guess I could say, there's one sermon that has become his famous sermon. And he was preaching from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six, exposing a, the thought there about a sermon title called Amen. That was the title of his sermon. And when I was in Bible college studying in Tennessee, I, I grabbed a hold of that sermon. I bought it somehow. I can't remember how, but I started listening to this sermon over and over and over and over and over again because in, in homiletics, we see that a portion of his sermon is like a homiletical genius description of Jesus Christ. Every preacher that's ever preached under the sun 
has wanted to describe Christ in the way he did. But as I listened to that one hour long sermon, 60 minutes and some change, I listened and for the first, for the first 50 minutes, give or take, it is just an average sermon preached by an average man. But his conclusion is set apart. Even though the sermon is titled Amen, the five or ten minute clip that you might have seen and heard is titled That's My King. And today I want to quote him. I want to take you back to about 1976 in a church in Michigan when he preached this sermon, we are told for the very first time. I want to share with you the description that he shared about Jesus Christ, but I want to give it to you with a different spin. Instead of saying, that's my king, I want to say, worthy is the lamb. The Bible says, this lamb is the seven-way king. This lamb is the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. This lamb is the king of Israel. That's a national king. This lamb is the king of righteousness. This lamb is the king of ages. This lamb is the king of heaven. This lamb is the king of glory. This lamb is the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Worthy is the lamb. I wonder, do you know him as your Lord today? You see, David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. This lamb is the only one whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Nobody can keep him from saving you and me. Worthy is the lamb. Do you know him as your Lord? He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever seen the horizon of this age. My friends, worthy is the Lamb. Do you know him as your Lord? He's God's Son. He's the center Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's the preeminent one. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of proved theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. My friends, worthy is the Lamb. Do you know him as your Lord? He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He's the only one able to hear all of our prayers at the same time. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. My friends, worthy is the lamb. Do you know him as your Lord? This lamb is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. 
He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. My friends, worthy is the lamb. I wonder today, do you know him as your Lord? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. My friends, worthy is the lamb. I wonder, do you know him as your Lord? He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you today that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a mortal man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him. And you surely can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate, couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Harry couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. My friends, worthy is the lamb. Do you know him as your Lord today? He's always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And how he has no successor. There was nobody before him. And there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. And he's surely not going to resign. My friends, worthy is the lamb. Throughout all eternity, that is going to be our anthem. The lamb is worthy to receive honor. The lamb is worthy to receive wisdom. The lamb, the lamb is worthy to receive strength and glory and blessing. My friends, I think it is important. That as we see this whole picture that John is revealing to us about what heaven is going to be like, understand this, that the theme of heaven is all of creation being redeemed back and God taking ownership of what he created. And his church, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the cherubims, the seraphims, all of the angelic beings and these 24 elders are going to be crying out in great declaration, worthy is the lamb. My question for you today is this. Are you going to wait till heaven to shout worthy is the lamb? Are you going to shout worthy is the lamb right now in your life today? My friends, he is worthy. But is this worthy lamb your Lord? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. 
And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.